This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make wind turbine lightning protection easy. If you're a wind farm operator, stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime. Get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system. Learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, welcome back. This is episode 23. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Patagonian winds knocking over wind turbine. So pretty crazy that that happened. So we'll chat a little bit about the engineering and why that went wrong. Also, an interesting story out of Europe, the uh, a proposed Budweiser logo to be slapped up on a, a wind turbine cell um, was declined, but now there's an appeal process. So fighting over the advertisement um, rights to wind turbines. And in our engineering segment, we're going to talk about Maine, which uh, the University of Maine is actually trying to get a $100 million demonstration project going, and they've got investors now, 14 miles offshore, $100 million for one floating turbine. So we'll talk about the economics of that. And lastly, we're going to chat a little bit about an MIT study about electrical charge on ungrounded objects and the implications that will have on wind turbines. So I'm here with Alan Hall, our lightning protection expert. Alan, how are you? Great. Boy, this Patagonian wind thing, how crazy was that? Strong winds I knocking just... over turbines. That shouldn't happen, right? Yeah, I wish I was there. Just, I wish all this stuff was on camera, but these are all in such remote <laughs> locations that you don't get to see this sweet destruction footage. Like, there's some on YouTube, and it's amazing when these things get over. I guess overclock's not the word, but when their limiters don't slow the blades down when they go too fast, and then they just keep going until finally just like kapow. It, just the power behind those things is, I mean, we talk about this over and over, but it's just incredible to see them crumple like they're made of, uh, like the one that one that I'm talking about crumpled it reminded me of like just like the way a toilet paper tube would would, would fold up <laughs> it's like but that is thick steel it's I mean good good grief but anyway so it sounded like Patagonia gets uh, in this area gets up to 60 mile per hour gusts pretty regularly but you don't think that sh- that's enough to really do this do you no it's it's not the wind turbines are usually designed to handle those kind of winds so there must have been some sort of internal failure that the wind turbine kept running in those high winds and came apart or it didn't uh, feather the the blades properly. There's something odd happened there because that's not a normal situation. And, and it I don't know if the, obviously we know the Patagonian winds are a thing. <laughs> so we, we would engineers haven't forgot about it. It's, it's like the Santa Ana winds uh, in the, in the States. We know they're coming. We know they're going to be strong and we, we would design around them. We wouldn't, get anywhere near uh, a collapse that's it's crazy (laughs) you can't do that someone's gonna get hurt is it gonna cost you a fortune well it sounds like it was in almost two stages the article is kind of sparse but it says that it first bent that these winds first bent the turbine tower which is about 50 meters tall so not that tall no of course that's that's not short but it's not tall by turbine standards anymore but it first bent it and then it says bringing it to the ground so i'm not sure if it was right at the same moment or maybe it was bent on monday and finally brought down on thursday 
you know, we don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, you also wonder, I mean, there's obviously big variations in steel. And we were in our previous episode just talking about certification standards and quality standards. And I mean, it doesn't go to just bolts. I mean, this could have been cheap, cheap steel this tower was made out of and maybe had some defects in it. You it's never po- know. It's possible. And- it, yeah, it is possible. How many times have we seen all around the world uh, large construction projects uh, collapse because the concrete's not right or the steel's not right or mm-hmm. they've used lesser grade steel to to save on costs and it didn't tell anybody, obviously. And yeah, it still happens. Maybe this was made out of copper. They just <laughs> didn't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways, and we've seen it in all kinds of industries. It's not limited just to wind turbines or or bridges or things of that sort. It happened or construction projects. It happens in all industries where there's just been a substitution of parts. Uh, so it's, everything is possible. I mean, it could be anything uh, corrosion. There's a million different things that could have gone wrong there. But I mean, it 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 it, it just could be something as simple as the the system didn't shut down properly and was left out there to spin and and put too much uh, load onto the tower and it <laughs> bent over and then it finally collapsed. Uh, that's scary. I, I think uh, in terms of overall safety, you know, you think that the industry would want to try to figure that out and publicize what the failure mode of that is so that others, it's kind of like a service bulletin on your car and you get that little envelope in the mail says hey your honda has a problem we need you to come in and take a look at it uh this same sort of thing ought to go on in the wind turbine industry when they have problems like this we ought to be some sort of servers bolt and that says hey this is what really happened and it's not a big deal or we should all be watching out for this maker of steel or whatever it may be so that we'd all as an industry don't run into the same problem that would make sense to me i doubt that's what's going to happen but that's 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 the engineer and me thinking like we're just trying to look out for the future well you think the insurance company is going to have to do some kind of investigation to see if they can be not on the hook right like maybe there was some sort of <laughs> what? negligence or just like something where insurance they're not insurance company's not paying out are you kidding right uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Having a, having a team of lawyers They'll, to fight you for the next six years? Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah that's totally going to happen. Yeah, if they have insurance at all, yeah, it's it's going to happen. And uh, they're going to try to to put blame on somebody else so they don't have to pay out. But, uh, it, you know, part of the in, in insurance industry's role in all of this is to create the marketplace to force safety improvements and to, and to force performance and improvements because the insurance market is like the betting market for sports it it operates in the same fashion so that the team that the people uh, put money down to win win the game uh you know people pick the one the winner most of the time that's the insurance industry is just like that so the winners take the the proceeds and um uh, wind turbine companies or operators that have issues uh, or like the losing side of a bet. And you, if you do it too often, you're not going to be in business anymore. So, yeah, fun. So, yeah, and, well, quirky story out of um, the, so near this is near the Magor Brewery over in Europe. And this is uh, owned, owned by AB and Bev, so Anheuser-Busch. And uh, there was a proposal to put a Budweiser advertisement on the nacelle of this wind turbine and it got refused and now they are again well they're appealing this uh this decision trying to overturn it and of course this is just like another classic fight just like hey we don't this is unnecessary like the turbine's already ugly we don't need to make it 
even more so is essentially with the sentiment here. Um, but what do you, their quote is, it's kind of funny. It says, in short, there's nothing to outweigh the visual harm and royal character, uh, unlike the turbine. But this was actually um, for the business itself. They're saying, look, look, this thing's already ugly. Let us put an advertisement on it. Like, who cares? Um, <laughs> what, what's your take on this? Is there such a thing as visual harm? I hate terms like that uh, because it, it, it implies some sort of violence that has occurred <laughs> to your eyes. That, that's not a thing. <laughs> you may not think it's appropriate. You may not like it, but is it, a, is it causing visual violence to your eyeballs i would say no i i find it curious though that every other space particularly in europe i I don't know why i think about this more in europe maybe because of the the football players on the uniforms jerseys have all kinds of advertisements on it uh that pretty much any possible space for advertising will be used that way in america's not that much different quite honestly our sports teams don't tend to put labels all over their uniforms even though it's starting to get that way because there's money in it yeah uh, right so why wouldn't you sell the side of the wind turbine for an advertising space what's the harm i'm i'm missing that is there a, yeah. is there is it an alcohol consumption thing is that what it is uh, the, i just think this that it seems like the town is already salty that there's a wind turbine there like they didn't they, they had to grant permission for it to be taller 20 meters taller than it was originally planned hmm um but you're right and part of this appeal they're like look this is a small sign relative to the size of this turbine and there's other commercial buildings in the area like there's other you can see a photo of it here in the article um there's other electrical towers there's all sorts of other stuff it's not like this is a pristine national preserve where there's nothing and now we want to throw a billboard it's like it's just a small sign on a industrial device that's already in a area with other industrial things like it's not a big deal but i don't um, yeah i don't get it i just don't under i don't don't understand it unless there's but it, it, in the alcohol thing things like that would be if you put starbucks on it would that make it okay it is it is advertising the most, space right? <laughs> the most basic turbine in the world you can paint paint orange yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's just, this this is a tough one because you know, here's here's the sort of uh, the advertising part of me, which is once somebody figures out you can put advertising on the side of wind turbines, they're going to do it. And and in the states, there are wind turbines in particularly valuable spaces in the United States where it wouldn't make sense to advertise on those things because they're so visible and recognizable. Yeah. It would become one of those sort of foundational pieces to your community, or could be. So why wouldn't you want to advertise on it? I can see. Budweiser, if especially like St. Louis, I mean, that would make mm-hmm. a lot of sense to me. All right, so in our engineering segment here, let's talk about Maine. So, this is really interesting, also reporting from uh, Green Tech Media. So, Maine has gotten investors, so Mitsubishi Corp. And the German utility RWE is going to buy and build the project to help get the door open in the U.S. floating wind market. Um, but the University of Maine, they're, this is going to cost $100 million to get one 12 megawatt, proposed 10 to 12 megawatt turbine floating 14 miles off the coast. Now, again, this is a good idea, obviously, to like get the door open because we've talked about this before that 
there's very little offshore wind in the U.S. and especially floating, and there's a lot of potential for floating. But $100 million for one construction project, that seems like a crazy price tag. And they're just saying that there's, you know, with these bigger projects, there's lots of things that go on, economies of scale, like you can, you know, that brings the cost down. But with this one, they say cabling is a big part of it. But I mean, what do you, how does this feel to you, this big price tag? Seems like it's overkill, doesn't it? That yeah, doesn't lot, does it relate to any other project price wise that we've come across. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. It's off by like a factor of eight, roughly. And is it uh, a financial boon for the state of Maine? Is that where it's going? That they're going to get some sort of a uh, manufacturing facility? You know, they're talking about putting wind turbines up and down the the, the northeast uh, shoreline of the United States. So is it uh, Maine's way to step into that marketplace? And like we talked about, uh, we think the wind turbines are going to be pretty far offshore if they occur at all. And so would Maine be the leader in that because they're so far offshore, you can hardly notice them. It, it got to that 14, 15 mile mark where we, people visually it's just gonna ignore be a blip. it. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. anymore. And so does that give us, does that give Maine as, and Maine's a large state in the Northeast. So, that may provide some jobs and benefits, but that's a lot of money to dump into a project like that. And it and they picked Mitsubishi uh, as one of the partners, and RWE as the other partner. Uh, again, it, that one's kind of curious because you think it'd be Investus. Uh, company or something from Vestas or Siemens, Camesa would be into that marketplace. So it, it does it does ring kind of odd, and especially now because the financial constraints of of states are, is really severe from COVID. There's just not tax revenue to, to sort of float a project like this. Uh, speaking, but I don't know, Dan. It just I, I get we're trying to pr- improve technology, but a hundred million dollars can go a long way right now. Yeah, so RWE, it says here that they claim to be the world's second largest developer of offshore wind projects. That's true. uh, After Denmark's Orsted. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I I think this is definitely a a good, like you said, door opener into this in the U.S. And I think, I mean, I was looking up cabling technology and it's very complex. There's a lot that goes into it to keeping those things, you know, from getting destroyed just by the all the different, you know, the bottom of the ocean's treacherous. Everything about the ocean is treacherous, right? Yeah, like, it is. I mean, it's just such a there. harsh environment. Yeah. Yeah, it's off. It's 14 miles of cabling. I mean, that could be $28 million right there. I don't know what a, a mile of cable costs, but it could. Yeah. These are some, these are some complex systems for sure. I mean, just all the different materials and, and they still are, don't know nearly what they'll know in five years, 10 years about, you know, how to bring costs down, how to keep cables durable. Like, I think that's still probably in its infancy as far as it cabling is. goes. But, yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, and we've and seen I articles mean, about that recently about cabling and issues with cabling for underwater cables, power cables. That, that that's one of the the failure points they're trying to deal with. And Maine is a is rough territory, uh, just because it's so far north and the storms are bad and the the winters are are, are bad. Uh, relatively speaking, to the rest of the United States, it's it's up there. It's Canada, essentially. So, and all those big big lobsters just just chop right through it with their claws. <laughs> you know, wreaking, they had a shark attack havoc. up in Maine. The first shark attack uh, that they've, I guess, on record supposedly 
uh, up in Maine too. So <laughs> they got they got great whites uh, floating around up there. So they got other problems. You got sharks chewing on the cables. Uh, to me, you know, hey, look, any any sort of wind turbine project that's that is successful, we're all one hundred percent behind. But it's got to make sense too. And you hate to when when these projects fail, it just leaves a bad taste for everybody around the industry. It's like, oh, you know, maybe wind turbine is not in the offshore wind turbines are not really possible in severe environments, and so we, the, the the politicians start to come in and, and start to squash things that are that are, are that are possible, right? It's just like the Elon Musk rocket launch of the day where. Uh, they did it for roughly a billion dollars versus, I think, in the United, the U.S. government's estimate for that same amount of effort was like twelve billion. So, so you know, a factor of twelve, yeah. you know, th- technology happens, and we can do these things. I just, ooh, that's it's a lot to swallow right now. Yeah, well, and the, the Scottish Highwind Farm, which has five six megawatt turbines, those are. I mean, exponentially smaller than yeah. these, this 10 to 12 megawatt one that they're going to use, which is either yeah. going to be, you know, the Halley 8X or the Siemens Gamesa. Um, I don't know if I can rattle off all the numbers from memory. The <laughs> DD. Something, something, something DD. Yeah, <laughs> right. they're a fantastic name. Yeah. Uh, but that thing's, I mean, that thing's huge. So you start thinking about this, I mean, they're what, 800 feet tall with tips. I know I should be speaking in meters, but I remember that number. <laughs> I mean, that's enormous floating out in potentially rough seas. I mean, the engineering to make that happen is is pretty remarkable. It, it is. It is. And I think that's where their their big leap it has to be. It's it's not on the, is it possible? It's just getting the engineering right so it'll survive. <laughs> you yeah, can put anything sure. out in the ocean, right? It's sort of the Titanic. You can put anything big out in the ocean, but is it really made for the environment in which it's going to be floating around in? That's where they're going to find out the hard way. Uh, because there's really no way to know. You just it's again, it's it's like uh, I think of it like the ocean cleanup. If you've been following the ocean cleanup, where they they were trying to clean up the plastic in the uh, in the Pacific Ocean, uh, and their first attempt it was a big broad attempt, and then they realized it didn't work. I'm like, oh gee whiz, I gotta we gotta we got we got all this people and equipment and stuff. We gotta figure out how to make this work. And then they went small, figured out how to make it work, and then. <laughs> then coming back out like they probably should have started off with and I always think in these kind of projects starting small makes sense and then growing bigger once you have all the parameters figured out it's a lot more cost efficient than just going for all of it yeah but I mean so you look at the rendering of this and uh, it looks oh look that looks cool that's a cute little you know rendering of this submersible concrete floating platform and some cables connecting it to the bottom because uh, they have a lot of I mean you and I both watched that presentation uh, from one of the the wind power conferences, and there's yeah. a lots of different like variations of floating wind turbines. Some have um, different types of you know cabling to anchor them to keep them kind of in place. But I mean, with this thing being so big, I mean, obviously they have tons of great engineers. But I mean, who knows? This thing moves and starts to get a little bit of momentum and just snaps that cable that anchors it. <laughs> and I mean, again, like you said, like they're not going to know what's going to happen until they do it. And right, I mean, it's certainly at some point one of these projects is going to have a couple tipped over turbines just sink into the bottom of the ocean. I mean, that's reasonable to expect at some point. You hope yeah, it doesn't it happen, but but with anything else, like, I mean, we've had airplanes crash. Like, we've had all this stuff happen. And right. one of these things like, hey, best of intentions, this should work. 
big wave, smell ya, and there it goes, right? <laughs> right. Just something unexpected. Because like exactly to your point just now about collecting trash in the ocean, like you just don't know till you do it. And that 12 megawatt turbine is huge. It's I mean, huge. Is, it's like throwing a skyscraper out in the middle of the ocean. Right. It's terrifying. <laughs> So, so are this? Are, do you think they're going to have like when we talked with Danny Ellis at Sky Specs? Uh, he was describing when they go do the 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 drone inspections of the wind turbines. How uh, a lot of the technicians actually there's a floating hotel that supports all the support oh, people yeah. stay in. Well, will they have to have a floating hotel 14, 14, 15 miles off the coast of Maine in January? It's going to be really fascinating. So is it going to be a floating hotel to, to for all the people to support this thing? There, there's got to be something out there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it would probably make more sense if it was a whole farm, right? I mean, a lot yeah, of these I think so too. Could be twenty turbines out there, but if it's just one, that probably feels like eh, we can make it back. Like we'll service it, and and that is, I guess, is a valid point that you know you're not going to have to fly your drone to ten turbines in a day and be right. there till dusk. You could probably inspect it you know, first half of the, get there at daybreak and inspect it by and leave by dark. But then again, 14 miles is pretty far. So that's a, that's a long yeah, boat it's a ride. It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, it's a long boat ride. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up today's episode of Uptime. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a regular here, thank you for your continued support. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from each show. For Alan and all of us at WeatherGuard, stay safe and we'll see you next week. Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret, lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy-to-install strike tape lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering, build quality, materials, and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.